If you're visiting with us this morning, it is our tradition here at Edgewood to uh, celebrate the Lord's Supper, uh, the first uh, Sunday of every month. Uh, I'll be uh, honest with you, these are probably uh, my favorite uh, services as we have the opportunity to reflect on our Lord and who He is and what He did for us. And, you know, for, uh, for many years now, I have uh, shared with the church family that when you study the New Testament, there are five uh, fundamental purposes uh, for the Lord's Supper, uh, five actions that we are to take uh, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And uh, this is not the first one, but I do need to dismiss the boys and girls for children's church. The, their leaders are waving at me. So, boys and girls, you're dismissed uh, to kids' praise zone. Forgive me for uh, failing to do that. And if we have guests, your child is more than welcome to attend. Just release your child to the vestibule. Our leadership will uh, acquire them there. They'll go directly below us for children's church. And that's where you would pick them up uh, when we conclude. And so I just want us to uh, remind ourselves of, uh, of these five aspects of the Lord's Supper and, of course, uh, hopefully make application uh, to our own lives. And, of course, the, the first thing and the, and the most fundamental thing as we come to the Lord's table, it, it is a time for us to look back. And the key word to what? Remember. Uh, what Jesus Christ did for us through His death, burial, and resurrection. Look at 1 Corinthians uh, 11, beginning of verse 23, that clearly emphasizes this. Uh, this is the Apostle Paul writing, and he says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which He was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in, notice, remembrance of me. And then verse 25, in the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So, as we come to the Lord's table, we're to look back and we're to remember. And we're to remember what? Two things. He talks about the body and the blood. The body that was what? Given for you. And as I've shared with you in the past, probably two of the most precious words in the entire New Testament. For you. To realize that everything Jesus did, He did for you. His body represents His life that He gave and sacrificed for you. The Scriptures tells us that although he was equal with God, and the uh, book of Hebrews says that he had the very radiance and majesty of God himself. The exact representation of God's nature was beheld in Jesus Christ. And he says by uh, his power, the word of his power, he, he upholds all things. Well, that almighty God, uh, the creator of the universe, it says, he did not consider equality with God a thing to what? Selfishly grasp. But he emptied himself, taking upon himself the form of a bondservant. 
and being made in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by being what? Obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Jesus gave his body that you might have eternal life. In his body, he bore your sins. You know, we were talking last week from the Beatitudes uh, about the fact that uh, apart from Christ, we are what? Spiritual paupers. That we are bankrupt of any righteousness that could earn God's favor, uh, that could earn a home in heaven. And as spiritual uh, paupers, we have been reduced uh, to begging, uh, begging God's mercy and being totally dependent upon Him. We also talked about the fact uh, that we are spiritually what? Dead. We are dead men walking, uh, that we are depraved in our sin, uh, that we are doomed in our sin, and that we have been separated from God. And the penalty of that sin is what? Death, eternal death. But Jesus, when He died on the cross, what? Our sins were placed on Him, and He bore our sins in His body. He took the punishment that we deserve, and then He rose again uh, to offer new life. So as we come to the Lord's table, we reflect on the fact, as we look back, that everything He was, everything that He did, He did for me. What a thought. What an amazing thought that God Himself left heaven and came to this earth as a man for you. He lived that sinless life for you so that He could be a perfect sacrifice for you. He died for you. He rose again for you. You were the object of His desires, the object of His love. But not only do we remember His body, we remember what? The blood. Notice it says in verse 25, it talks about the new covenant in my blood. You might want to notice that little preposition in, that could actually be translated in the Greek at the cost of. In other words, you're to remember the new covenant that cost me my blood. Now, what is the new covenant? The new covenant was the last will and testament of Jesus Christ. The new covenant are the promises that Jesus has given all those that place their faith in Him, uh, the guarantees. And there are basically three guarantees in the new covenant. First, what? Pardon from sin. He said, I'll remember your sin no more. I'll never let your sin become between me and you. As a result of Christ's work on the cross, who paid for the penalty of your sin, who took God's judgment for you, now you can be assured of a disposition of love forever towards you as He's removed your sin, never allowing that to come between you and God again. But not only pardon but a new heart, a heart that would love God, a heart that would hunger and thirst for God, and not only a new heart, but what? God's very presence, that now you would become the temple of God. And Jesus said, you need to remember the pardon that you enjoy this morning. That cost me my blood. That new creation that I made you, that new heart that I gave you, the new desires, the new appetites, the new empowerment, that cost me my blood, my presence that you enjoy. 
as I dwell in your heart, in your life, through the power of the Holy Spirit. That cost me my blood. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, just a very, very beautiful section of Scripture, but it talks about the power of God's blood. Look at Ephesians 2. Look at verses 12 and 13. Ephesians 2, verse 12. It says, remember that you were at that time, talking about before Christ, separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Notice, that was your life before Christ. Without Christ, without a home, without promises, without hope, without God. Lost, doomed to the trash heap of eternity, hell. But then notice verse 13. Isn't this a great verse? But now, see now, everything's changed as a result of Christ's love and grace and what he did on the cross through his death, burial, and resurrection. But now in Christ, you who formerly were far off have been what? Brought near. How? By the blood of Christ. Amen? Amen. Now, we're not without Christ. He dwells within our hearts. Now, we're not without an eternal home that has been secured for us through the blood of Jesus Christ. We're not without promises. We're not without hope. We're not without God. All of that is ours because the blood of Christ purchased it for us as God deemed his sacrifice an adequate payment for our sin, as it satisfied the holy justice and wrath of God bringing us in to salvation. So, as we come to this table, the first thing we're commanded to do is to look back and we're to remember. We're to remember that body that he gave for us, that was sacrificed for us. We remembered the blood and all that it secured for us. And of course, we rejoice in that. But the second thing we're to do is to also look forward. Not just look back, but we're to what? Look forward. And we're to rejoice in the fact that we have a what? A soon coming king. Go back to 1 Corinthians 11 again. And notice verse 26 says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he what? Comes. What a, another glorious thought. Jesus says, in this world, you will have what? Tribulations. But there's coming a day when it's going to end, when there will be no more sickness. There'll be no more pain. Soldiers won't have to be deployed to war because there'll be no more war. Be no more tears. Uh, turn to Second Thessalonians chapter 2. I shared with you that uh, in two weeks, we will actually begin a book study, a verse-by-verse book study of, uh, of Second Thessalonians. I did First uh, Thessalonians last summer, and I thought it would be good for us to look at Second Thessalonians this summer. Uh, and I just want to point out uh, the glorious truth of His coming and what that means to us. Uh, look at chapter 1. And look at verse, 
Let's begin in verse 6. For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. Notice, there is coming a day when every wrong will be righted, when God will repay those who have attacked his people, that have attacked his truth, and he will bring us, his believers, his followers, what? Relief. And when is that coming? When he, what, comes, when he returns. Right now, we're in that time of tribulation. We're in that time of adversity and persecution and hardship. And life does become hard. It becomes difficult. There is great pain. There is great suffering. But there's coming a day, beloved, when that will end. And we'll know relief and perfect joy, perfect love. Notice it goes on, verse 8. Dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. When He comes, notice this, to be glorified in His saints, that's you and I, on that day, and to be marveled at among all who have believed, to be marveled at. And we want to begin that marveling what? Right now. Uh, marveling at our Lord and His might and His power. So as we come to this Lord's table, yes, we look back and we remember what Jesus did for us, and we glory in that. But we also look forward with hope and with rejoicing, knowing that what we're experiencing now is not going to be the last word. The last word is going to be Christ's victory over sin, Christ's total victory over death, over the devil, as we'll be put away from the very presence of sin, to know perfect purity, to know a perfect holiness. And you know, and I think there's a second reason that we rejoice looking forward. And that is Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes what? All things to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Again, until He returns there's going to be suffering. There will be hardship. But Jesus Christ gives us a guarantee that I'm not going to let anything touch you that I can't cause it to work for your good. And I cannot think of any greater comfort for the believer. And, and listen now, that, that's even true of a believer's sins and mistakes. When they repent and when they turn to God, it's amazing how God can even take our greatest failures, our greatest sins and mistakes, and yes, we know consequences. Yes, there's discipline, but discipline out of love. But when we repent, when we turn to Him, He says, I can even take this, and through correction and through assurance and encouragement, I can even cause this to work for your good. You know, I had a precious opportunity this past week uh, to counsel a, a young woman that had come through our Sound Choices Pregnancy Clinic. They had referred her to me uh, for some further counseling. And uh, 
she, she was a believer. She was a, 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 a Christian, uh, but she had made some mistakes. And uh, she had uh, drifted uh, from God. And, and what joy I had to be able to look into her face with confidence and say this. You know, you know I said, you know, I wish I could tell you if you did A, B, C, D, I could guarantee you that you'd get this outcome from this point on. But I can't guarantee you that. Nobody can guarantee you that. But this is what I can guarantee you. If you will confess your sin, if you'll forsake that sin, if you'll turn to God with all your heart, be transparent, surrender to Him, even this, in the end, God will cause it to work for your good in His greater glory. Because where our sin abounds, what God's grace does, much more abound. And see, that's the confidence every one of us has as believers. Now, again, it's not automatic. It demands that we become transparent, honest, broken before God. We talked about that last week, about being meek, being broken, uh, coming to God on His terms and absolute surrender, not playing games with God, uh, being radically committed uh, to Him. But as we do become honest, as we become transparent, as we become open with God about where we are and our struggles and our sin, and as we surrender Him, He says, even in this, I'll cause it to work for your good. Amen? I want you to go. We're going to partake of the bread in just a moment. I want you to go to Isaiah 53. I want to give you a verse to reflect on as we partake of the bread in just a moment. And we're going to take, partake of the bread, and then after we partake of the bread, I'm going to share a couple more of these truths related to the Lord's Supper. We'll share the juice together, which represents the blood of Jesus Christ. But look at Isaiah 53, verse 5. It says, but he, referring to Christ, this is one of those great messianic promises, uh, prophecies in the Old Testament, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging, we are healed. This is what I want you to do in just a moment. We're going to just allow a few moments of silence before we partake of the first element. And I want you to personalize this verse as a way to remember what He did for you. In other words, I would read it this way, but he was pierced through for Andy's transgressions. He was crushed for Andy's iniquities. The chastening or the punishment for Andy's well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging, Andy is healed. So right now, with your Bible open, I'm just going to allow a few moments. And I'm asking everyone to reflect on that. Just take some time to remember right now. 
to reflect and then thank Him. And then one last thing during this time of silence. As we reflect on this, and this is the, the, this is the heart of why we're to observe the Lord's Supper on a regular basis. Because as we do remember, that reignites our lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. We see that He is worthy of our attention. He's worthy of our affections. He's worthy of our allegiance. So, as I reflect on that, then I, I, I realize, you know, Romans 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, as, as, you, as you reflect on the mercies of God, that demands uh, 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 that you reciprocate to His love. It says, therefore, you're to, as He gave His body for you, you're to give your body what? To Him. Present your bodies what? A what? Living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable act of spiritual worship. And don't be conformed. Don't be squeezed into the mold of this world. Don't develop this world's attitudes and values and perspectives, but be transformed through the renewal of your mind that you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I think of 2 Corinthians 5. It talks about, listen now, it says, He died for all. Jesus Christ died for all. Why? That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died on their behalf and rose again for their behalf. Amen? He died that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died and rose again on their behalf. So let's just spend right now just a minute or so just in silence. With your Bible open, you reflecting on Isaiah 53, 5, personalize that. And then as you reflect on Jesus and who He is, what He did for you, reciprocate to His love. In your heart, love Him, worship Him. Surrender your life afresh to Him. Lord, we're told that on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, He took the bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it. And He said, this is my body for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so, Lord, we, we come now to remember. We come to give you our attention, to give you 
our affections, to give you our allegiance. We do acknowledge that, yes, you died as the Savior of the world, but you rose again as Lord of all. And you died for all, as we just noted, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died and rose again on their behalf. So, Father, we do come, and as we remember, we renew our surrender to you, and we present our bodies, our lives to you to be living sacrifices, to live out your will for us. And, Father, we thank you that as we do, we have great hope because we know how it all is going to end. And yes, there's hardship here, and there's pain, and there's hurt, and there's anguish. There's even the anguish of our own failure, of our own sins, those deep regrets. But I thank you that as we become honest with you, as we become transparent, as we turn to you, in true repentance and the brokenness and obedience of faith, there's nothing that you cannot turn around for our good and your greater glory. And Lord, we do thank you that there's coming a day when you will bring total relief to your followers and retribution to those who have disobeyed you, to those that have attacked you and your people and your truth. And so we glory in that hope that is ours. For it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen. The deacons will distribute the bread, but we'll all partake together. Worship with Andy.
told that uh, Jesus, after he had given thanks, he broke the bread, and he said, this is my body given for you. Eat in remembrance of me. Eat and rejoice. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 before we share the juice together which represents His blood. We're talking about these five actions that we need to bring to the Lord's table. And we've seen first we're commanded to look back and remember what Jesus did. We're also to look forward and rejoice in the hope that we have in Christ's return. But we're also to look within and to refresh ourselves in the presence of God. I believe probably the greatest tragedy in coming to the Lord's Supper would be to, to look back to the past and look forward into the future, but not realize that Jesus is here. And He's not only here, He's in my heart. I'm His temple. I'm His sanctuary. And to know that presence and to nourish on that presence. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter. 10 verse 16, it says, Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Now, we know that uh, the Lord's table is, is a symbol, but it's a symbol of a great truth. Turn over to uh, the Gospel of John, John chapter 6. Uh, this is actually where I concluded my message uh, last uh, Sunday. I know the Sunday before that, Jonathan uh, preached on Jonathan 6 in my absence. And as we read some of these verses towards the uh, uh, end of the chapter, these verses are not talking about the Lord's Supper. But the Lord's Supper is a symbol of the truth that's being spoken of in these verses. Uh, let me begin, let's begin at verse 51. This is Jesus speaking, of course. John 6, verse 51, he says, I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread also which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh. Notice, the life that I give for the world is my flesh. The Jews, therefore, began to argue with one another, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? I mean, uh, you know, is he talking about cannibalism? Uh, uh, th this greatly offended them. They, 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 they just did not understand. And then he responds, Jesus, therefore, said to them, verse 53, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood... You have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. 
He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, he who eats me, he also shall live because of me. This is the bread which came down of heaven. Not as the fathers ate and died, he who eats this bread shall live forever. Shall live forever. Now, what is Jesus saying? And there's so much that could be said here, but the simple thing that I want you to notice is in chapter 6, probably one of the most powerful truths to see is that Jesus equates belief with eating. He makes the two terms synonymous. I don't have time to develop this greatly, but let me just give you one example. Turn over to verse 40. Verse 40 says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son, and what's the next word? Believes in Him, may have eternal life, and I myself will raise Him up on the last day. Now look at a parallel verse, verse 54, that we've already read, but look at it again. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has what? Eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Do you see the similarities in both verses? He says, you're going to have eternal life, and I'm going to raise you up on the last day. But in one verse, he says, if you believe, that's going to be yours. And then in 54, he says, if you eat my flesh and drink my blood. So what Jesus is doing says is he's saying true biblical faith has something to do with eating. And I don't think it's difficult to understand what Jesus is saying. For example, uh, one of you could uh, invite me over to your home for supper. And, you know, you could, you could lay down this magnificent meal in front of me. You know, and I could begin touting off, you know, uh, everything that's there, uh, the nutritional value that's there, the calories that are there, and I could give you every little detail. I may know all about the food. I may be an expert in terms of knowledge, but it hadn't done me any good until what? I eat it. I can even get excited about it being there, but until I actually take it, until I put it in my mouth, until I chew it, swallow it, and let it absorb and become one with me, It's of no benefit to me. And that's what Jesus is saying. And what we see here, which is emphasized throughout the New Testament, belief, true faith, is more than intellectual assent. You may be sitting there and you may can spout off every fact and truth about the person and work of Jesus Christ. But have you eaten it? Have you appropriated it? Have you made it your own? And that's what Jesus is saying here. It's not just enough to know about me. It's just not enough to get excited about me. No, you, you, you have to take me in for who I am. You have to eat me. And think about that. Who is Jesus? He's Savior and He's Lord. He's Savior and He's Lord. And true conversion involves receiving Him as both Savior and Lord, putting your total trust in what He accomplished for you, but then surrendering to Him as Lord. In other words, salvation is in the person of Jesus Christ. 
Salvation, yes, is a gift, but that gift is Jesus. And if you're going to receive him, you must receive him for who he is. And you can't say, well, I like this part about him, but not this part. So I'm going to eat this half, but not this half. No, he says, if you're going to have me, you're going to have to receive me for who I am. And folks, that is so important because we live in a day, especially in the American church, where for decades now, there has been an easy believism that has been preached and taught from so many pulpits. This thought that you can, you know, receive Jesus as your Savior and get your ticket to heaven, and then you can determine sometime later down the road whether you're going to really surrender your life to Him as Lord. That is totally foreign to the New Testament. And I can't tell you how many people that I have talked to just recently. I talked to a young woman uh, just this last week. And, and, and she said, you know, I made a profession back here, but I don't believe I know Jesus. She said, there's been no empowerment in my life. There's been no real change in my life. I can't say that there's any evidence of real trust and love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And as she began to talk, I mean, I had to turn to her and I said, you know, the two outstanding characteristics of a true believer are trust and love. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you truly come to know Him, You've eaten him in this sense, received him. There's benefit from that. There's nourishment from that. There's satisfaction from that. Don't miss this. True biblical faith satisfies. Just like when you sit down and eat a good meal, it satisfies. It fills you. And when a person truly has come and received Christ, when he's eaten Christ in this sense there's going to be a difference. And you're going to realize where the true source of happiness is. It's not out there. It's in here. And it's important for even us as believers to be reminded of that. Because we all struggle with this. We'll we'll begin to drift. And we think we're going to find happiness in a lot of junk food out there. But it's just this simple. It's not complicated. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you're never going to find anything in terms of fulfillment and truth out there. It's going to be right here in that relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the true source. Remember what we talked about this last week? What's the popular idea of happiness? Having the right what? Circumstances. You know, sort of that when and then method. Well, when this happens, well, then I'll be happy. When I have the right circumstances, when everything falls into place, the only problem with circumstances is what? Number one, they're external, so they have no power to change me on the inside. They're always changing, so they're not dependable. It's like a roller coaster ride, and then they don't last. They're they're temporary. Now, contrast that to Jesus. Jesus, for the believer, is what? Internal. Therefore, he has the power to change my outlook, 
my perspective, my attitudes, my character, which then affects my conduct. Jesus, what? Never changes. No matter what I may experience in life, He's that constant anchor for my soul that can always be depended upon, that will never leave me, that will never forsake me, that does cause all things to work together for my good. And He's eternal. Nothing temporary about Christ. So as we come to the Lord's table, we must not only remember and not only look forward in great hope, but we need to look within. Not, not at this table. This is a symbol. No, you, if you're a believer, you need to look within. Jesus is there. What's your need? He's the one that can meet it. You're never going to get it met out there. You're not going to get it met in your mate, in your children, in a relationship, in money, in success. If you're going to ever find true fulfillment, true happiness, true joy, it's going to be found in that relationship with Jesus Christ. So there may be a lot of us that need to right now say, I've been trying to feed on a lot of junk food. And I need to get back to feeding on Jesus, the true source of life and satisfaction. Look at the fourth action that we need to take when we come to the Lord's Supper. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Okay, we're to look back and remember what He did. We're to look forward and rejoice in the hope of His coming. We're to look within and refresh ourselves in the presence of Jesus. Whatever I need, He is. And I'm to feed on Him. I'm to feed on His grace. If I need forgiveness, I'm to feed on that forgiveness. Feed on His strength, for whatever it might be, whatever the need might be. But I'm also to look up and to re-examine my life in the light of His holiness. Look at verse 27 of 1 Corinthians 11. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. This is a time of examination. How can we possibly come to this table to celebrate Jesus dying on the cross for our sins while we would still be cherishing those sins? Let me put it in different language. You don't often hear this definition of sin, but it's probably the the better one. Sin... Sin is simply valuing anything more than Jesus. Sin is to value anything or anyone as being more important than Jesus Christ in your life. 
See, you can make an idol out of your mate. You can make an idol out of your children. You can make an idol out of your work, your ambitions, your dreams. So as you examine your life this morning, you need to ask, can I honestly say that Jesus Christ is the most important person in my life? Can I honestly say that he's my greatest passion, my greatest pursuit, my greatest love? That like Paul, I've counted all things loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as dung, he said, manure. He said, compared to Jesus, everything else is about like manure. And then he goes on and he says, oh, I want, I want to be made conformable unto his death. I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to know the power of the resurrection. And then he says, I press on towards this one goal, this one ambition, this one prize, Jesus. To apprehend him as he's apprehended me. That's my life's pursuit. And so when we come to this table, yes, we need to do some serious examination. Let me ask you to turn one verse, just again as we did a moment ago, for reflection before we enjoy the juice which represents the blood. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Okay, let's go, uh, go, go to verse 17. I want you to see the context. It says, but the one who joins himself to the Lord is what? One spirit with him. Again, it's talking about that unique union that we have with Christ as we receive him, as we eat him, as we find our nourishment from him. And then he says, notice verse 18, flee immorality. Every other sin that man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. I don't want to focus on immorality. I want to really focus on the next two verses, but as it would relate to sin. Notice verse 19. What's the basis for his admonition to flee immorality? He says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Who is where? Where is he? In you, whom you have from God, and that you are not what? Your own. You're not your own. Why? Look at the next verse. For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. In other words, the motivation to turn from any sin, whether it be immorality, whether it be greed, whether it be selfishness, whether, no matter what it might be, would be the fact that my body now is the temple of the Holy Spirit who's in me, that's been given to me from God, that I am not my own, that I've been bought by the precious blood of, the, of Jesus Christ. And now I have a new master, I have a new Lord. I have new ambitions, new goals, new dreams, and that's to please Him. I don't seek the approval of men, I seek the approval of my Lord. 
I live to submit to His authority, to seek His agenda, to, to seek His approval in my life. So again, I'm just going to allow just a, again, another minute just for a silence with you having your Bible open to 1 Corinthians 6, those two verses, 19 and 20, and just reflect on that truth before we partake of the juice which represents His blood. Reflect on these verses that if you're a believer, you're the temple of God. He's in you. Therefore, stop looking for happiness out there and return to where you're going to find it, right here, in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And acknowledge to God, I've been expecting things of my mate or others that now I realize I'm never going to really be satisfied there. I'm only going to find true satisfaction and contentment here in my heart in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And then just say, I'm returning to you as my first love. And I acknowledge you bought me. And you bought me because you love me. You bought me to be your bride. You bought me to be in an eternal romance with you. And so here I come to love you and to honor you. So allow a moment of silence. Let each of us have an opportunity to reflect and respond in our hearts. Father, I think of the Apostle Peter who told us not to be conformed to the former lust, but to be holy in all our behavior, even as you are holy. And Lord, the basis of that whole admonition is on the fact that we have been redeemed. We've been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we thank you for the blood. We thank you for the blood that you shed, that secured our pardon from sin, that made us a new creation and guaranteed us that our hearts would become your sanctuary, our hearts would become your home. And so we rejoice in that. And so, Lord, move, work in our hearts and lives that there you would find a home where you could dwell comfortably to have your way and your will, which in Christ's name we pray, amen.
Father, yes, the body of Christ is beautiful, but we only find our beauty as it reflects yours. We thank you that you took individuals that were marred, scarred, made ugly by sin. And through faith in Christ, by your grace, you have transformed us and you're continuing to transform and change us. And Father, thank you that as we walk through that process, that we can have the confidence that you love us through the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for us. Thank you, as the writer of Hebrews says, we can boldly come into your presence through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we come boldly now to love you, to honor you, to worship you, to feast on you, that we would find our adequacy, our sufficiency, our contentment in you in our relationship with you. Lord, we readily acknowledge, forgive us for thinking we would find happiness and contentment by feeding on the food that the world offers. And Lord, today, return us to you. And let us feast on you. And for those who need your forgiveness now, may they eat it and be satisfied. For those who need peace, may they eat it and be satisfied. May those who need grace, strength, eat it and be satisfied. So thank you for your love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Drink and rejoice. Well, there's one more aspect of the Lord's Supper. We look back. We remember what Jesus did. We look forward, rejoice in His coming. We look within to refresh ourselves in the presence of God. We look up to reexamine our lives in the light of His holiness. The last thing is, and this is very clear in the Scripture, the latter part of 1 Corinthians 11 says how we're to serve one another. We're to look around. And we're to minister to one another. The body of Christ is beautiful when it functions the way He intended it for us to function as we're empowered by His grace and His love. And you know it is our tradition here at Edgewood that when we come to the close of a communion service, we always allow allow two, three minutes for you to mingle, to minister to one another. And again, this is time to look around. You know people that are hurting, that need a word of encouragement, Maybe it's somebody who's meant a lot to you and you want to give them a word of appreciation right now. But this is the time for us to love on one another. Now, I'll dismiss the service in just a few minutes. And I would would ask that no one leave during this time. You may just want to remain seated right where you are and just continue to worship. You may just want to continue to have your Bible open and reflect on some of those verses we were looking at. So just continue to love Him. Continue to worship. You can never give Jesus too much love. Uh, uh, but this is also a time for us to love on one another and to minister uh, to one another. 
So uh, this will also serve as the invitation. I'll remain right here to receive anyone that has a decision of any nature that they would like to make this morning. But right now, uh, I'll give everyone the freedom to stand and uh, move about, minister to one another. And in just about three minutes, we'll dismiss the service.